Welcome everyone to the 8th. Thank you for doing that survey. Just for us to have an idea of what is kind of stealing our joy. We are in part three of a series titled, It's All in Your Head. It's All in Your Head. And we're talking about all the different mind traps that pull us down, that just weigh us down that we go through. But before we kind of go any further, does this date mean anything to anyone here? Especially if you have been in Atlanta around this date. January 28th, 2014. Huh? No, it's not a protest. Thank you. Thank you, Trevor. How do you, how do you pronounce Snowpocalypse? Or, or Snow, Snowmageddon, I think was another name. They got Snowmageddon. Snowmageddon. Was any, raise your hand if you were here in Atlanta during Snowmageddon. Yeah, very good. I was still living in D.C. at the time, and I was pointing and laughing at everyone, all of you guys here, going through all of this. My mother-in-law was stuck in the car for 10 hours. Uh, she had to actually walk. She had to, and she just parked her car and she walked two and a half miles uh, just to get home. It was a, a brutal day, but you know, from DC, it was cool to kind of point and laugh at you guys. We understand, if, maybe if you never experienced this, but we do know the feeling of feeling trapped. Like you, you, the idea of just being, you have no option of what to do. You, have, you just feel so limited. You feel like you're being suffocated by something. So we understand this in a physical way. We understand this historically. But this also happens with our mind of us being trapped. I guess me being all into tech and computer and stuff like that, to me, something that comes to mind is the blue screen of death on a computer. You just feel trapped. You're trying to move forward. You're trying to be productive on the computer. And all of a sudden, that blue screen comes and you just feel like, ah, and you just... You feel hopeless. You feel like everything's been taken away from you. But ever since I went to Apple products, I haven't had that issue. But for you that are still on Windows and stuff, you get this, right? You understand the whole idea of having a blue screen of death. So we all go through some type of trap that just paralyzes us, suffocates us, and pulls us down. So week one, this is part three. Week one, we talked about anxiety. It, not, not on a clinical level, but anxiety and the worry that gets the best of all of us, that just kind of help prevents us from able to think straight. And then last week, we looked at the victim mindset of everyone is out trying to get something from me or everyone's trying to get at me, us falling into the trap of being the victim. But today, I want us to look at a third mind trap that's all in our head is negativity. Negativity. You're at a doctor's appointment and you're waiting in the room, you know, obviously all of us, you know, we just, we, everyone, we, we wait in the room for about 10, 20 seconds and the doctor immediately comes in, right? We never like, you know, so, right, you're sitting in the waiting room and you're waiting and the doctor comes and says, well, your test results came back. Where does your mind go? I have... 72 hours left to live, right? That's, that you just know, before the doctor even says anything, your mind naturally goes in that direction. Or you're at work, your boss texts you, hey, do you mind stopping by my office? That's it, I should go ahead and pack up everything right now, this is my last day, right? Your mind naturally goes in that direction. This is having a negative mindset, this is the direction our mind naturally goes. Negativity gets the best of us. And I want to jump right into 
a fresh look at how to look at negativity, of how to look at the pressures you and I go through. I want to look at the lens, or look at the, the, the wording and the writing of a first century missionary by the name of St. Paul the Apostle. We've been looking at many of his writings. He wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and he's an integral part to the Christian worldview of us understanding how to follow Jesus. St. Paul wrote a, a, a beautiful letter titled, the, uh, he wrote a letter to the Philippians. And actually, most scholars would say that this collection, this letter, is actually just a bunch of different essays that were put together while he was in prison. So he's writing, kind of just writing in his own journal and putting these different um, essays together, and they put together, and we, now we know them as being an epistle to the Philippians. So this is one of the things in which St. Paul said. Now I want you to know, he's writing to his audience, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually saved, has served to advance the gospel. Here he is in a dark, smelly, stinky dungeon, prison. And the lens of how he looks he has every right to look at this through a negative lens. And he says, now I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Why? Why, St. Paul? Why are you saying you being chained is helping you serve the gospel? As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He has every right to be negative, but he's looking around and says, actually, how I am rooting myself in the reality and joy and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, me anchoring my worldview and my pain and my imprisonment in that truth has actually started to rub off on the guard with the keys. It started to rub off on other prisoners. I'm actually beginning to see the good news of Jesus rubbing off on other people. Not by my words. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being annoying and being that guy that's super preachy in the pr prison. I'm not doing that. But just how I'm coping with this hardship and how I'm shifting me, from, from preventing myself from having a negative lens has actually impacted those around me. How beautiful. That's the lens of how he's looking at his hardship. He doesn't just say, I need to be positive, I need to be positive. Brothers and sisters, he doesn't say, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, be positive, be positive, be positive, be positive. He's not just saying something so theoretical, something, something nice and fluffy to make everyone feel warm. No, he's saying, there's no denying. I'm going through a hardship. And I'm fighting the battles, the traps of wanting to be negative. But the reality, I'm seeing God work through my hardship. I'm starting to see the joy of Christ working through me. Joy, and I, I don't want to get into a psychological uh, point as far as the difference between happiness and joy, but joy is independent of any circumstance. Joy is independent of what your spouse might do. Joy is independent of what your boss might say. Joy is independent of what that test result might come and say. Joy is independent of, of what happens with your kid. It's totally independent of all of that. But here we're starting to get a glimpse of St. Paul having that joy embedded within him of how he's coping with his hardship. And he elaborates even further a few chapters later. I'm sorry, let me continue with this. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So he's being saying, I'm really seeing God work through my hardship. A few chapters later, he says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
contemplate, dwell, think, surround yourself with such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, because I'm trying to be the icon of Christ, I'm trying to be the hands and feet of him, put into practice. Pause. He's not just saying, dwell on those things and you'll be hunky-dory, you'll be gold, man. Just, just, just surround yourself with that good stuff that makes you feel good, you'll be good. No, he says, dwell on them, contemplate, surround yourself with them. He's saying it's an uphill battle. It's not just one thing, oh, see, I, 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 did ha I had a quiet time. Oh, I kind of talked to God, I did the whole church thing, and then I pressed that button, I should be good now. No, he's saying, surround yourself with that. Let that overwhelm you. Let that consume your social media feed. Let that consume what you listen to in the car. Let that be what you do or listen to when you're at home kind of unwinding. Let that be what surrounds you, that builds you up. He said, dwell on this. Put it into practice. Practice. Put it into practice. Practice is tough, right? If we just look, just look at sports, and, uh, right? practice is tough. I used to hate it when I played soccer. I used to hate it when we had practice that didn't involve the ball, right? The coach would say, you know, do some drills of running, something like that, without the ball. I hated practice. I hated practice. But, he, but it's an uphill practice. <laughs> I can't say the word practice while I'm defining practice. But it's an uphill exercise I'm doing for me to be stronger in the virtue I'm trying to attain, in this case, being soccer. But practice allows me to move forward and to put it, uh, in, for it to become a reality. He says, put it into practice. And then he says this. He gives a promise to the practice. He says, practice these things. And then he gives a promise. If you do this, if you push forward and putting and building these exercises on a daily basis, and this becomes the rhythm of your life, it's an uphill battle. But if you're pushing through through with it, then he gives a promise to the practice. He says, and then the God of peace will be with you. He says with boldness, with transparency, he says, if you're moving in that direction, then you'll be able to attain that peace which surpasses all understanding. But it requires you to put it into practice. If I ask you who here wants happiness or who here wants joy, of course, independent of your worldview or where you might stand right now with God or Jesus or the church, you want to have more joy in your life. Who wouldn't, right? Every worldview tries to grab onto that as their plug. But here is St. Paul saying, if you lean more into the direction of putting into practice these virtues of these spiritual exercises, then there comes a promise to the practice, which you will be able to have more of this peace which surpasses all understanding. I came across this wonderful quote, and I really loved it. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems, right? That, that's our go-to. Ah, if he just stops yelling, there'll be more peace in the home. If, if, if I just get a pay raise, there'll be, there'll be more peace. If my kids just, then there'll be more peace. If the, you fill in the blank, right? Our mind naturally wants to go there. If X, if this is resolved, if this person calls me back, if this person texts me, if this, my, you name it. If this, then I'll have peace. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Peace is found in the presence of the king of peace. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Peace is found in the presence of God. In the first century understanding and the fullness of orthodoxy, not a different alternative version, not a diluted version, none of that, in the fullness of the first century understanding of Christianity, the church literally overwhelms us with practices for us to be able to attain this joy which surpasses all understanding. The church says, modify your diet, 
The church says, do a prostration. The church says, pray. But you know what? Do a preparatory prayer before the prayer. Eh, you know what? Let's do another preparatory prayer before the prayer. This is what the church does. The church is trying to build within us to practice joy. The church is trying to overwhelm us using our senses. Let's overwhelm this place with icons. Let's overwhelm our nostrils with the smell just for us to be more engaged. Let's overwhelm this place not with, not with just prayer text. Let's, add, let's elevate it by adding music to it. The church is trying to overwhelm us for us to put all of that into practice. There is a wonderful book I was reading titled Putting Joy into Practice, right? It's written by a Coptic author and a very practical book. It's so practical, it's right? Not just, it's not just like kind of up in the sky. No, putting joy into practice. We have these books, by the way, in the connection table. You can grab them afterward. It's, it's not a plug. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying it's, good. it's a good book. So putting joy into practice. And one of the things she, she mentioned in this book that really touched me, she was saying, when we're putting these spiritual practices into action or, or practicing them, she uses this analogy of like, imagine a cup. Like if I put a cup upside down, if I fill it, the water goes everywhere else. But these spiritual practices the church gives us, for us to say, you know what? I am going to go to church early. You know what? I totally don't get the whole fasting thing, but fine. I'll kind of push it. I don't get the whole fasting thing, but you know what? I am going to put a fast on my social media feed. I am going to limit my screen time. You know what? I don't totally get the whole prostration thing, but you know what? I don't even get the whole sign of the crossing, but I'll do it. I don't understand putting my, sign across, my hands in, in, in like this when I'm praying, but you know what? I'll do it. When you're doing these spiritual practices, it's flipping the cup upside down, or, or right side up, I should say. You're putting the cup this way in order for us to be filled. So those practices within itself is not like the win, but it's the practice for us to gain more of God's peace in our lives. So the church pushes us more in that direction. The church tries to discipline us, try to ground us, try to balance us, and it's equivalent to us putting a cup right side up for us to be filled more. But you know what you and I want? We want something convenient, right? We talked about liturgy endurance. Man, we just want God, I'm praying, right? What's our prayer? God, uh, fix this issue in my home. Okay, amen, right? We want God to fix the thing now, 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 right? We don't, we, we, the, the whole idea of pushing through endurance, the idea of doing these spiritual exercises, man, that's for other people, man. That's for the people wearing black. That's not that day for me, right? That's maybe that's where our mind goes. But here's the richness of a 2,000-year-old church of these exercises that have been tried and true, and it is totally fine, you don't get it. I don't get, when I was playing soccer, I don't get practicing without the ball. Soccer for crying out loud, why on earth do I need to run 50 laps around the field? What are we doing? We should be on the field with a ball. That's called soccer, right? So you, you, you would think that makes sense. But who am I to determine that that's not what's beneficial? Who am I to say that's not a practice needed for my edification? Who am I to come in a 2,000 year old church and say, mm, that, that spiritual exercise, that's for other people. Nah, that ain't for me. That's for others. I'll pick and choose what I want. You know, I hate it. Yeah, it's a strong word. I hate it when people drift away from church because they don't see their worth or value from God. And I hate it when they want God to respond in a certain way at a moment in time. And if God doesn't respond in a certain way, I, I knew this whole church thing was, was, was one out for a child. It ain't for me. And they throw everything out. That breaks my heart. I hate that. I hate it. God is wanting to give you the desires of your heart. Ain't that my words? Not my words to make you feel good. <laughs> That's Jesus' words. 
But what if it requires us to put into practice these spiritual exercises for us to push through the negative thoughts that might pull us down? There was a study, just to show you, just to show you how much negative thoughts can get in our mind and just paralyze us. Something I learned this week was so fascinating. There was a, a scientific study done on a group of people where a group lost $50 and another group gained $50. And they did uh, brain scans on both sets of people. The group of people that lost $50, there was more brain activity of them being emotionally distressed, of just them being negative, of losing $50. But the, the group that gained $50, there was minimal brain activity. They're like, oh, cool. And that was about it. Why I'm saying this, our brain leans in the direction of being more negative. We have a more of a stronger temptation to look at things through a negative lens. But when we practice these spiritual exercises to attain this peace of God, to have joy in our life, it requires us to push through these practices because we naturally lean more toward negative thoughts. I think we all know people who might be more optimistic in nature and some people are just always looking at things in a negative way. They're Debbie Downer, right? They're negative Nancy, you name it, right? We, we, we have people in our life that are like that. But naturally, at our core, because of our brokenness, we lean toward negativity. And I thought it was so fascinating that even science shows this. And this is why I want us to spend just one full session on just negative, talk, uh, negative thoughts as we look at practice. And yes, we're talking about practice. I want to share with you one of my favorite quotes. Maybe, Tino, you already know where I'm going with this. One of my favorite sports interviews of all times, and I cannot believe this was 20 years ago. I remember watching this on SportsCenter as if it was last year, but anywho. Anybody tell you that I miss practice? If, 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 if a coach say I miss practice, and y'all hear it, then that's that. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year, but if if somebody say he doesn't come to practice, it can be one practice. Out of all the practices this year, that's enough. If I can't practice, I can't practice, man. If I'm hurt, I'm hurt. I mean, simple as that. It ain't about that. I mean, it's, it's not about that at all, you know what I'm saying? I mean, but it's, 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 it's easy to, to, to talk about. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not, a, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Man, we're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not, I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man. We're, talk We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you come into the arena and you see me play, you see me play, don't you? You see me give everything I got, right? But we're talking about practice right now. We're talking about practice. Man, I look, I hear you. I, it's funny to me, too. 
I mean, it's strange, it's strange to me, too. But we're talking about practice, man. We're not even talking about the game, the actual game, when it matters. We're talking about practice. <laughs> we talk about practice. Just, to, just in case you were counting, he said it 22 times. We're talking about practice. The game is when the hardships come. The game is when, when the, the pain and the grief comes. That's the game, right? If I'm going following Allen Iverson's quote here. That's the game. But the practice is what builds us up. Honestly, like the thing that kind of drives me personally is this point. I know the next hardship is coming. I know the next pain is coming. I know the next negative thought is around the corner. I know that's coming. Am I equipping myself? Am I leaning toward? Am I surrendering myself to the one who loves me more than I love myself? Who can equip me to handle the next pressure? Just this past week, there was a, for those who might know, Ancient Faith Publishing publishes a lot of great Orthodox books. There was a book released of how to cope with grief, looking at the first, like from a first century perspective. I haven't experienced that much grief yet in my life, but I know it's a matter of time, right? I mean, it's guaranteed. It's part, it's part of the brokenness of this world. I will have grief. So what sparked me to say, you know what, I want to buy this book, is like, grief is going to come. I don't think I'll have the mental capacity to read it when I am grieving. But why don't I read it now to equip myself with how to cope with grief? So it, it, we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice to be able to equip ourselves to have more of God's peace, to have that joy which is independent of any pain or circumstance or that person or this person. A great quote I came across, we don't drift in good directions. We don't drift in good directions, right? As much as we love, God, I'd love for you to do this, right? We, we just wish it could just happen, right? We don't drift in good directions. It requires intentionality. So why don't I, just scientifically speaking, why don't I use the exercises that have been tried and true with other saints and people who have been there, done that, right? We, the title we give them as a church is Struggle Bearers. Today, for crying out loud, we honor St. Augustine, straight up thug, straight up gangster. And now we say, St. Augustine, pray for us. He, he, he put into practice these virtues, these spiritual exercises, and he, he pushed through them. And now we want to become like him. He pushed through his weakness, his sins, his struggles. So, now what? Great, right? I, I have negative thoughts. It gets the best of me. Now what? What am I supposed to do? I mentioned this in week one, but I want to reiterate it. Take your thoughts captive. Take your thoughts captive. Analyze it. What is this thought and where it's coming from? Where did this come from? What is it doing to me? I need to process it, digest it, and be able to put it in its place, right? If I tell you right now, don't think of a zebra, too late. You thought of a zebra. The thoughts are coming. But how am I going to process it, cope with it, and make sure it's in the right place? You know what we do? You know what, you know what this is equivalent to? This is imagine, have you been to a restaurant that's like packed, right? Like in, it's packed. And you go in and they say, yeah, I'm uh, looking for a table for a party of three. And they say, oh, well, we're kind of full, but, but I'll make it just for you. Come, come, come right this way. We do this to our thoughts. We tell our thoughts. We tell that negative thought, that pride, that jealousy that comes in. Oh, come this way. Come right, 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 right through. And we escort that negative thought all the way through our life. Yeah, come this way. Feel, feel, feel free. To, to damage my marriage, please feel free, come, right? We, we escort this, this negative thought around and it controls us. We don't check it at the door. We don't say, I'm sorry, your name's not on the list. We don't do that. We take those thoughts and we entertain and we let it dance in our head until we build this narrative 
And then somebody else comes to you and says, what, what, what did you, how did you think that? Like, wh- wh- how did you get to that point to start thinking? Where did that come from? But we don't know. It's a negative thought that grew, that we, we, we brought in to the restaurant and to our mind, and we let him sit down and make himself at home and throw us off. Take your thoughts captive. Going back to St. Paul, he wrote a letter to the city of Corinth. He wrote multiple letters, actually, to the city of Corinth, and he, in Corinth, Greece, and he tells them this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. We demolish any negative thoughts that are trying to set itself up in our mind, in our relationships, in our career. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That sounds cool. Many world religions, I'm sure, can practice this element and and preach this. The second half is what makes it tangible, real. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God in flesh, Jesus the Christ. We take that thought and we make it obedient to the one who is the perfection, who is the, the personification of perfection, who is the hope of us all, the life of us all, the resurrection of us all. We take that thought and we make sure that does God want me to think like that? Is, is this, did Jesus emulate this thought? Is this something I should entertain and for it to dwell within me? Or should I pro- check it out at the door? Take your thoughts captive. If this has not been clear up to now, before we get to point number two, this is easy to say in theory. It's easy for me to say when we're in a nice air-conditioned room. But when those negative thoughts come, the second you're by yourself tonight, they come and they start just eating us apart. This is where we need to put this into practice, man. Point number two. Sorry, so we take our thoughts captive. Point number two. You are not alone. You are not alone. You might be thinking, how come she, like, she always looks put together and she's always smiling. How, how come I'm struggling with these negative thoughts and not her? Or why, they, 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 our mind is naturally gonna go there. Your reflex is gonna go there. But come on, we get it with social media, we get it in life, everyone can put on this face. But you're not alone. You're not alone in your negative thoughts that are dwelling and getting the best of you. It's not just all in your head, it's affecting those around you. But you are not alone in those negative thoughts. St. Paul, again, said these words. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded by other people who have gone through what I'm going through, since I'm surrounded by people who have put into practice these spiritual exercises, since I'm surrounded by others who get where I'm coming from, since I'm part of a church family where I know I'm not alone. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love that. It doesn't say, yeah, don't worry, you'll be great. We talked about that week one. No empty cheerleading. You'll be fine, don't worry, you got it, right? Just pray and everything will be great. No, but be surrounded by, you're surrounded by those who, you know what we call the saints, by the way? We call them struggle bearers. They bore struggle. And we ask for their prayers. They bore struggle. You know who else bears struggles? 
not those who have just been there, done that. You and me. We are struggle bearers. But he says to run with endurance. Again, he's painting this picture that it's not just ask for the prayers of the saints, do this little fast thing, go to church super early, just make a part of your rhythm every Sunday, and you'll be fabulous. No, run with endurance. The race that is set before us. I love this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Regardless of where you might view right now Jesus, but him being the author and finisher of our faith, the one who has your life in his hand, the one who is working even through your struggles, he's wanting to do amazing things through you and through me. But it might require us just today, just to acknowledge, yeah, negative thoughts are getting the best of me. I do need to label them of these thoughts tearing me apart. Or just, I, I can't sleep because of these negative thoughts. Come to God with it because you are not alone. And speaking of you not being alone, since many of our readings have been from the letter St. Paul wrote to the Philippians, what I want us to do, I want us to do a 10-day Bible challenge. This begins not, oh, God willing, you know, whenever I have time or whenever this project ends or whenever things begin to settle down or whenever the kids, whatever, don't fall into that trap. It begins tomorrow morning. It begins tomorrow morning. And listen, I'm being realistic. This is a 10, 15 minute commitment. And you make that commitment tomorrow morning, tonight. You make that commitment tonight. Like what, how your tomorrow looks like, you determine that by tonight. So if you know you have an appointment with the author and finisher of, your, of, of, of life, if you have an appointment tomorrow with the author and finisher of, 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 of life, if you have an appointment with God tomorrow morning, then you prepare tonight. That, that means you go to bed early. You prepare yourself for that quiet time with God. So this is in the Bible app, this 10-day challenge, and it will keep each other accountable. We'll be able to see our progress as we do this together. We can cheer each other on, do this together, all right? For us to be able to put joy into practice. If I tell you, raise your hand, you want joy, of course but we know it's not a button to press because we've tried. We thought once this issue is resolved, once this hardship goes through, once I'm able to overcome the struggle, then there'll be joy for myself, my family, my relationships. Uh-uh. It's not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. So if we're trying to attain that peace, which surpasses all understanding, if we're trying to attain that joy, it requires us to put joy into practice. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, there are tons of things in our lives, personally, in society, that rip us away from our identity in you. So many things try to define us. So many things try to define what happiness looks like, try to define what joy looks like. But Lord, if we acknowledge you being our divine designer, for us to acknowledge that our lives are in the palm of your hand, if we acknowledge that our logic is limited, if we acknowledge our issues, our pain, our struggles, our anxiety, rest in you, 
This is where we can find this joy and peace, which surpasses all understanding. Lord, I pray that this talk is not just a talk. I pray this is not just something we listen to or watch, but it's something we put into practice. Lord, I pray that through these next 10 days, it's something that challenges us, convicts us, grows us, and it strengthens our bond together as a church family, maybe for other people to join, for us to be able to push ourselves, and for us to attain this joy, and for us to build that muscle together. Lord, we're thankful that you have given us such a cloud of witnesses, as St. Paul says, of people who have pushed through, who have fought the good fight, and for us to know that we are not alone in this. Lord, I pray that we can lean more on each other and for us to find strength together, but ultimately for us to lean on you. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, make sure you put into practice, and God willing, I'll see you guys next week.